this third of three podcasts, NEC dance producer Kathy Levy continues her conversation with British choreographer Wayne McGregor. Now, tell me about some of the upcoming commissions. Speaking of, I mean, obviously, this association with the Royal Ballet has, I guess, opened doors for other yeah. big ballet companies or Bolshoi, the Paris Opera. I mean, it's interesting, though. I had my relationship with the Paris Opera before I was the resident okay. choreographer for the Royal Ballet. Right. So, um, Brigitte Lefebvre at the Paris Opera really does have a phenomenal program with the Paris Opera. Incredible. I mean, she's got two incredible theatres. She's got, you know, 200 dancers who are, have been exposed to the most extraordinary work and live choreographers making work on them. Yeah. She has this great process of being able, when you go there, you get your dances and you get them for the whole period of time. You don't share them with anybody else. So if I have my 60 dances, I'll have them for the whole process and I can choose when to have them in the studio. Okay. So you're not, you know, the way in which they've actually organised that is great. So I made a, a piece there, a 45-minute piece there a few years ago about uh, Darwin called Genis, which was a really big success at the Garnier. So she asked me back to make a full evening at the Bastille, which I'm going to do in... Um, June of this year it opens and it's I think it's 16 shows with the ensemble into contemporary very it should be <laughs> very interesting it's a piece about Francis Bacon um, and I'm very excited about that it's a great commission um, just before that I've got a new ballet with the Royal Ballet that I'm making a piece a virtual reality piece and it will be my first kind of virtual reality piece with this amazing uh, virtual reality artist called John Gerard um, and then a bit later on in and then the Bolshoi do um, Chroma in San Francisco, Duke Chroma. And then later on in the year, I'm directing a turnage opera called Twice Through the Heart with the brilliant singer um, Sarah Connolly. And then I, Mark Anthony Turnage has written a new piece for me for Random, which will be in the, share, in the same bill. So it will be opera in the first half and pure dance in the second half. And I'm working with the Turner Prize winning artist Mark Wallinger. So it's a really lovely year of... Um, projects i only ever do three commissions a year i don't do any more so people will seem to think that i do well people think that i usually do more but actually i feel that my rhythm is that i need three is a a good amount in different contexts and then in 2013 um so just because i know about this bolshoi project so well yeah well well, 2012 we have got quite a lot of interesting projects as well again in london with the olympics and everything and then in 13 um I'm making a new Rite of Spring for the Bolshoi, yeah. which is to celebrate 100 years of the Rite of Spring, it's which is quite nerve-wracking. What's incredible, 100 years of the Rite of Spring. I know. Um, now tell me about this Olympic project. We've read 10,000 kids in Trafalgar Square. Yeah, well, it's part. It's, our ambition is part of this thing called the Big Dance, which is a project that we've been running quite a few years in the UK, which is about inspiring um, people to dance, and not just young people, but really across the wider kind of community. And because um, we're having the Olympics in London, we're very excited about that. We wanted to do something really special, and I'm very interested in this notion of creativity and everybody being able to be creative and making their own choreographies. Um, so what we're hoping to do is have a massive participatory project with 10,000 young people and um, community groups from all different dance styles making their own dance in Trafalgar Square and hopefully up the mile. So this idea was that you could, you know, task people to make 100 metres of choreography or a lap of choreography in the style that they wanted. But, and again, importantly, rather than just doing literally what they want, each group will have a mentor, choreographic mentor, to actually just try and push the thinking about choreography on a little bit further. This project will be, for the first time, rolled out across the whole UK. So apart from it just being 
in London with that big group, the idea is that actually lots of town centres all over the UK will have similar projects and we're going to give them the resources to be able to do that and the structure to be able to do that and a little bit of money to support it. So that actually hopefully across Britain on this amazing uh, day we'll have one massive dance with hundreds of choreographers making their own work. And each of those choreographers will work with a group of kids from those communities. From, yeah, from local communities. And it could, I mean, it could be adults. It could be. But and what will happen in Trafalgar Square is I'll put all of those groups together in a big performance. They'll all come. Yeah, to yeah. Oh, so I'll, I'll structure a very large scale performance of forty five minutes, and those uh, and the other performances will be structured all over. So it's yes, partly about you making up your own language, but how that language and that choreography fits into a wider picture. So this idea of having a really large scale choreographed object, if you like, I think could be really exciting. I hope it will be televised or at least documented in some way. Yeah, I think it will be. I mean, we're talking about how, you know, it's so funny in an Olympic year how many of the cameras are elsewhere, how you know, how mm-hmm. pressurised cameras are, but are we all, are talking about it for sure. Are all the choreographers UK choreographers? Yeah, well, they're all, they're all UK choreographers or choreographers who are living in the UK and working in the UK. I mean, you know, let's just... this. I have to underscore this incredible um, contribution, for lack of a better word, that you're making to the generations of choreographers coming up behind you. That's very unique and and, uh, quite fantastic. I mean, we love working with young people. I mean, I've always had a commitment to working with young people. And ever since I started making choreography, we've worked with young people. And over the last certainly five or six years, we've worked with about 10,000 young people a year random. So we're always very engaged in that. But I think what's very important, even for something like the Olympics, is legacy. What happens after the Olympics? And it's fine just doing a very big participatory, big choreographic project in Trafalgar Square. That's exciting. but what next and half of our provision has been about well how is it then that those groups can be formed into youth groups that ha- that continue regularly how could you get actually different types of choreographers to cross-pollinate work how is it that strategically you can get um, these communities of people dancing in different ways so actually the ambition for the project is much wider than just the performers but the performance is the carrot if you like mm-hmm. that allows to get the energy and the excitement around the idea you're also involved in the opening ceremonies, is that correct? Well, the, the actual the actual ceremonies haven't been um, decided exactly what's going on in, in, in. But I'm hoping that with all of these thousands of young people and community groups dancing, that they'll feature in the ceremony somewhere because they you know all that talent couldn't go to waste. Are there any plans in your future to have some kind of fantastic building where a lot of these elements live and breathe? And speaking of legacy. Well, there are, there are plans, and actually, you know, we've not really talked about them, but we're hoping very much to be part of um, a very big project after the Olympics, which is which involves a, a building. So we're already quite and on not our a virtual way. building. We have no, no. A real building, <laughs> a real to be able building. to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to. You'll have to. You have to update me on that next I time. Will, because it sounds still a little bit soon, secretive, soon. you know. Not quite. Just till March. Just till March. Okay. Well, good. Good. Well, we'll have you back soon enough. Now, I can't speak about young people without at least letting our listeners hear about uh, your um, trip to Hogwarts. Oh yeah, Harry Potter. <laughs> it's great. I, I just love that. What's really funny about that is, again, it really connects to my passion with working with normal young people and. One of the things, the producers of Harry Potter are absolutely amazing. And, you know, they work all with UK talent, UK actors. It was all filmed in the UK. And um, in uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, there was a lot of uh, choreography. Um, And actually choreography in places that you wouldn't expect. So, of course, you would do the ball and all of those things. But also... um, choreography for the Death Eaters, motion capture choreography, choreography for the animatronics. There's lots of ways in which actually choreographers work on films you wouldn't expect. One of my jobs was to teach uh, a basketball player who was already six foot, whatever, seven, who was on stilts 
um, with an animatronic head, he played Madame Maxime, to move and walk exactly like the actress Frances de la Tour because actually he was her body double. So that took us about eight months. So we had to literally analyse the physicality of Francis de la Tour and map it onto a person who had to walk like her in various of the scenes. And it was a really incredible job, very painstaking, <coughs> but quite a difficult job. But one of the things I wanted to do in Harry Potter is, because there's going to be lots of kids there, I asked Warner Brothers if it would be all right if I could get my casting from young people in East London. And not all from stage schools, which is, you know, current, currently the case. Not that there's anything wrong with stage school people, it's fantastic, but I just thought it would be interesting. So um, after quite a few discussions, Warner Brothers let me have 100, almost 150 young people from East London um, who had never danced before, who were just like normal kids. Right. Um, and it was incredible to see. So my favourite moments of Harry Potter are seeing them the first time they had their... Uh, costume fittings because of course it was a ball so, so lots of these young people had never been in high heels and ball dresses and tuxedos so that was absolutely a fantastic moment and also that Warner Brothers then gave them their own red carpet kind of screening of the film in East London which was pretty terrific and I have to say their behaviour was absolutely exemplary and we did it we built it into a project so what we did we did two weeks of intensive rehearsals on, on ballroom dancing and this very ambidextrous waltz that I made and then they came to do a, a, a week of shooting. And it was really incredible. I mean, life-changing for them, an amazing um, kind of project, but really fantastic that, you know, a big organisation like Harry Potter, a big kind of commercial proposition, would allow room for something like that. That's very unusual, and mm -hmm. it really, you know, has to be celebrated. Well, and they trusted you to do that. I mean, that's also yeah, fantastic. It was, it was, was that the first time you'd worked in that kind of big film? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd done, I mean, I'd done, a, I've done about 18 plays and musicals on the West End, right. and I've done a lot of operas and I've done a lot of dance films and I've done very short kind of independent films but certainly it was the you know certainly the biggest film um, I've ever worked on um, the thing is with it I mean I really loved doing it I really really enjoyed it but it was a lot of it was a very big time commitment you know it was eight months of getting up 5am and coming back at 11 at night and often waiting a lot long time you know sit waiting and then all of a sudden you've got 400 people to work with in 30 minutes, you yeah. know, it's very people high describe, pressure. Yeah, people describe film as hurry up and wait. Yeah, no, exactly, it's hurry up like and that, wait. Right, yeah. But then you have these very intense, massive things that you have to do, so you're always in a state of being nervous. And actually, the only time I've ever dr drank coffee is actually during that <laughs> Harry Potter um, time. But it was amazing, you know, all those, uh, the Harry Potter star stars were all very young at that point, so we taught them all how to dance. They loved it. Emma said, actually, Emma Watson said in one of her film interviews, one of her favourite things about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was learning how to dance. We had a lot of fun with them. And we, you know, worked with all of the actors because they were in all of those all of those physical scenes so um, it was really nice but I can see when you talk about limiting well not limiting but doing three commissions a year yeah. having all of the work that you do with um, the programs at the Royal Ballet and this kind of film that it would be something you'd have to be extremely selective yeah, about yeah you have to be so, I mean it's great for me like being in London what's fantastic is I can while the dancers are doing class in the morning before we rehearse at 12 at the Opera House or um, with Random I'm able to do rehearsals on a play in the morning mm -hmm. so I can go do a West End play I've worked at the Old Vic with Kevin Spacey or Ian McKellen you know you can do these amazing things with actors that you wouldn't be able to do if you you know so I'm able to kind of generate this portfolio of work where actually I'm in the making process all the time which is a place I love being mm -hmm. in. So West End the opera the ballet tell me about the West End and the opera is there a favorite there is there something that's really like oh my god this was the best experience ever? Well I think my favorite big musical I, I um, did all of the musical staging that I was nominated for Olivier for for um, a little night music the Sondheim musical at the National Theatre yeah. that starred Judi Dench and that was the first time I worked with her and what was incredible about those really um, 
great actresses as Judy Dent, Sean Phillips, Patricia Hodge, is um, they were excused from the warm-up in the morning because they were all in um, plays in the evening, so they didn't have to come. And Judy lives outside London. And she would come always to the 10 o'clock warm-up. Always. And what was very telling is that show ran for a year and a half at the National. They always did the exact warm-up before the show before the performance where lots of the younger actors just didn't bother by that point and it just you know you just see that kind of level of professionalism and commitment and, and, discipline, it was a, yeah. and discipline and it was amazing to work with Stephen Sondheim you know because I think he's an absolute incredible guy um, I've worked since with Andrew Lloyd Webber I did uh, Woman in White on um, oh. on Broadway and uh, on the West End and it was interesting it was a, you know, a new project all I did really was a barn dance and some kind of musical staging but again to be engaged in a dialogue where actually you're working for a director and the director is actually tasking you to do something you're not deciding for yourself. You're doing something that's in his imagination and have to deliver for him. I was going to, that's exactly what I was going to ask about is that that's a completely different relationship. I imagine the same for opera, right? I yeah. Mean, when, you're, when you're directing opera, are you just doing the choreographic parts as well as the, uh, as w- you've had the experience of also directing big opera. So yeah. that relationship, your place in that creative end is different it's from different. one project to the next. It's different. It's different. I mean, I've done about um, I've done about sixteen operas, and the, uh, earlier in my career, I would do the choreography and the physical staging for the opera. Right. But I was lucky enough to work with some incredible directors, so mm-hmm. people like Sir Peter Hall, you know, who actually is a phenomenal director. So you're in there soaking up as much information as you can about how to direct, right? Because these are genius directors who are really very detailed and very articulate and very clear about what they do and very challenging. And actually challenge you to do the thing that they want you to do. And actually, if it's not right, you do it again, you know? And I think it's a very good discipline sometimes for choreographers not to have lots of room. We try it a little bit now with the young choreographers at the Opera House and give them restrictions and to say, this is the thing you need to make. You need to deliver on this. Freedom you can do another time. This is the thing you need to deliver. I think it's a very good exercise. And I think all of that work I've done with community groups and young people, if I'm faced with a 200 um, strong chorus, it just does not phase me at all because I'm used to, you know, 200 young people, teenagers, you know, <laughs> being very noisy in a school. It just doesn't phase me. I've got the structural ways of being able to do it, the communication skills to do it. So I would recommend to any young choreographer who want to really do big projects like that, work with young people, you know, build your your um, kind of choreographic skills, your choreographic palette in relationship to working with big groups in that way. When you're faced with it, it's really fine. But more recently, I've been directing and choreographing the opera. So, for for example, last year I directed both um, Dido and Aeneas at La Scala and choreographed it. And then that went to the Opera House in a double programme with Aces and Galatea. And it was the first time that the Royal Opera and the Royal Ballet had worked together in 17 years. Oh, my gosh. And so um, that seems started, so obvious. It's, yeah, yeah, it's obvious. But, but you know, yeah. these things, they, yeah. they, you know, things start to work separately. And sure. it was a, that was a really incredible experience to be able to get that right. And I think um, hopefully I'm going to be able to have more opportunities to do both because, of course, I'm still quite young at that. I realise that I need to practice it to be able to get really better at it. And um, hopefully I'm going to have some more opportunities. And I think it looks like I'm, I'm going to be able to do that. Are there other opera directors who've come? Like, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people who've come from theatre and, and dance. Are there other people that, that you look up to in that in that way? Well, I mean, you know, you can see, but, I mean, you know, there's that, also that great kind of tradition of choreographers uh, working in opera. So people like, you know, Trisha Brown directing opera, Pina Bausch directing opera. You know, this is incredible. I mean, you know, one of the great things, we were doing a, um, a gala at Sadler's Wells that Pina Bausch has come 
company we're in and Pina was there before she died and one of the great things that happened to us I have to tell you the story because it was just one of the I love the work of Pina Bausch even though it's very very different from my own and after she saw uh, my company perform she went backstage and spoke to each of the dancers to say how much she just was inspired and thought was absolutely wonderful about the work even though it was very different and you know I had that conversation with her and it was incredible that somebody of that kind of stature who's making a very particular type of work has the kind of really the humility and humanity to be able to go and say that actually I appreciate other things. Well, um, I think she's she was incredible that way. I mean, I think the festival that she did in Dusseldorf for several years was really also a mirror of that. And, you know, her, her I, I was there one year and had the great honor of watching her do that with so many uh, young choreographers, not necessarily always loving the work, but, but yeah, giving yeah. them space. You no, know. that's true. That's but great. in terms of directors, I mean, I, lo- I, mean I, I, I love choreographers who, you know, Mark Morris as well. I mean, there's some very interesting projects. It's very interesting to see what kind of decisions they make because actually choreographers make a lot of the choreographic decisions in an opera anyway. And actually because music is happening all of the time, it's very analogous with choreography. I mean, you know, so it's, it, it's quite an easy transition in many ways. But I'm, I'm also a very big fan of directors like Robert Lepage um, who I find incredible and very stimulating I love all of his theatre work I love his work in opera I even love his show he's got in Las Vegas with Cirque you know, it's fantastic I yeah. think he's just incredible and I think you know again it's about watching watching people like that's work and actually looking at why they've made or thinking about why they've made the decisions that they've made and what actually makes it so impactful and I think that's another reason I loved going to watch theatre is so you can actually learn something from it um, you you have uh, also created alongside all this this uh, haven. It sounds like uh, off the coast of Kenya. This is an amazing thing. How long has that been going on? It's been going now six years. So, was that was um, that a place you needed to? Uh, well, you know, it, yeah, a, an it, alternate to all this busyness and a bit, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean. It really is. I mean, it's it's a place, first of all, I went on holiday for, for a month and um, it's a place with no roads and no cars. You can only get there by boat. It's in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Kenya. It's so an it, island, yes. It's an island. What is yeah. the name of it again? It's called Lamu. Lamu. It's off the Indian Ocean. It's in the Indian Ocean. It's off the coast of Kenya. It's extremely quiet. Um, it really is a a place where you've got almost like you know the amazing beaches you know almost like the well like the Seychelles because it's very close um so you know white sandy beaches for you know 12 miles beautiful sea through sea but it's one of the first civilizations Swahili preserved civilization so it's 16th century architecture it's one of the most religious sites outside Mecca for Muslims it's got eight mosques very interesting kind of cultural life so the collision of culture and um and and, and kind of piece really it's really incredible it's a world heritage site so it has a lot of kind of richness Um, and I went there and I was just totally taken by this incredible place I mean I just thought it was amazing and I'd already in the back of my mind thought that I would like to develop some kind of retreat build some kind of retreat at some point and I thought always it would be in Thailand or Malaysia or something and just through a whole series of um, very lucky circumstances I was able to buy some land there and I thought one day I'll build this incredible place and then again I got home a few lucky circumstances Harry Potter Woman in White you know a few kind of really interesting projects that allowed me to be able <laughs> to actually start and um, so we built this incredible uh, house and studio that's there and over the last five years we've had about 140 artists we meaning random yeah well okay. yeah, yeah, yeah you me, yeah, you yeah. okay so, um, and we got some great sorry, help from the Quirkus Trust. Uh, we've had 100, almost 140 artists wow. yeah, in the last five years. So, and what's, what happens is we've, I've been out there to make a piece, which has been great for the dancers, all coming back looking brown and healthy rather than <laughs> drawn and exhausted. Um, 
we, we set up a thing with the Quirkus Trust whereby we invite artists, we just call them up and say, we really love what you're doing, it's really interesting, We have this. you have this opportunity to go to Larnbury for up to a month, we'll pay for everything, there's people to look after you when you're there, you can go and work if you like, there's a studio there if you want to work, not just in dance but in writing music or visual arts, whatever, or you can go and read or you can just go and swim, because actually a lot of very creative people really don't have the opportunity or the money to go on holiday and actually have some just quiet time for themselves, you know, they're always thinking about the next project and we found these artists have, have just you know, really benefited from that as a possibility and last summer we started the first, um, we hosted the first um, East African Theatre lab with Sundance so the Sundance Institute now are there in the summers so they'll be going again this summer and we had 35 uh, East African writers and directors and choreographers and actors all there creating uh, making new work discovering new possibilities that was mentored by Sundance it's an incredible project um, and we're hoping to do a very similar one in choreography I would really love to persuade some of those choreography greats like Mr Forsyth and um Mr. Killian, perhaps, to come and actually do the same one for East African um, the East African choreographers. Because, mm -hmm. again, the resources aren't... Um, there's a lot of willingness and a lot of energy, but the resources aren't quite there. Incredible. Do you think you could start a little volet for producers could, so that yeah, we could no, have little, some, some, some <laughs> holiday time for our creative minds? But, you, you know, know? Really, I mean, I really don't make a distinction about who's creative and who's not. And in the, that, Because I think it's really important. Like, some scientists have been also to that retreat. I think, you know... That opportunity to really disconnect from your BlackBerry and disconnect from the computer. This internet is so slow, it's painful. Um, you have to think <laughs> dial up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dial, it's almost dial up. And you, but you get up, you know, when the sun rises at five o'clock. You go to sleep when the sun kind of just vanishes. It evaporates around seven, so you're asleep by nine. The rhythm of life changes. Mm. The food that you eat is different. You lead. Uh, it really does give you kind of intellectual space to think differently. And people have gone there to do vision documents. They've gone there to actually just really just think. It's a great place to kind of nourish the mind and the body. It's, it's no wonder to me or anyone listening to this, I'm sure, uh, why you have been awarded with so many great acknowledgments uh, through for your choreography, for your theatre work, and most recently, the Commander of the Order of the British Empire for Services to Dance. Yeah. What, do, what do these things mean to you? Well, that was, it's really, I mean, it's a real honour and a privilege to get that, and I, I'm really delighted that actually, you know, they actually, there is a signal really that dance is really important in society, you know, and that dance makers do actually have a very valuable contribution beyond the theatre and I think that's really important I think with all of these things you can't do them without all of the other people that you work with and they really are I mean dance more than any other art form is a totally collaborative art form and I think the networks the, the people that are working on the ground the people that actually help exercise those ideas are as important as the people that are kind of leading them so with the CB I feel very honoured and privileged to receive the CB and I get it in June at the palace which will be very exciting especially for my parents who are extremely excited but really it is a kind of a commendation for everybody that's worked on the work that I've been doing. And I'm not just saying that, you know, just to say it. I really, really believe it. It's really a reward for all of us who've worked on some extraordinary projects in dance and making dance really be plugged into the real world and relevant to the real world. So in, in, in parting words, if you had one thing to say to a young choreographer coming up and you obviously touch the lives and hearts of so many of them, what would be the most important thing to pass on to someone coming into this art form? I think, uh, well, several things. I think probably to to be brave and to really um, s stand up for what you believe in, to go your own way, 
I think it's really important that you, eventually you'll find the right audience for your work and that you, you, know, you need to just really find your own way. But remain open and curious, I think is really important that you, you know, remain open to the world and really susceptible to influences and possibility. Keep fluid. Don't have this idea about this one commission that you want, but, you know, really develop your networks and just become a very good communicator. I think that I've realized that in my, my career, lots of the people that I worked with a very, very long time ago, I'm still working with. They've all got different jobs, much bigger jobs, you know, or they've, they've taken on different networks. And I think actually if you can build a very strong network with people and you communicate well and always deliver on the projects that you say you're going to deliver and deliver to the best of your ability, you'll always have the support. And don't let money be the issue that stops you from making. So much I hear whining and moaning about, oh, we've not got the funding to do this and we've not got this. And of course, you know, money is difficult and money is necessary to be able to do the work that you do. But actually, there are always ways if you've got good ideas to get those ideas produced. And people say to me now, oh, you're lucky you can get them all produced. You know, you are. It wasn't always like that. And actually, I think you just have to always think of good ideas, find some champions to help you make it happen and remain positive, And then you're going to have a great life in in dance and choreography. Well, yours is is at a peak, and I'm sure it'll continue to be like that for many, many years to come. You're a great inspiration, Thank and uh, I hope it is not too long before you're back at the National Me Arts Centre. Thanks very much. That was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks. That's all for this edition of NEC Dance Podcast. Please send us your questions and comments. You can email us at necpodcasts at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NEC podcasts by visiting necpodcast.ca. There you will find past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, this is Alary Evans saying goodbye from Canada's NAC Dance.